Hi, my name is Candace King. Welcome to a Super Bloom podcast, where I'm asking others who've experienced their own roadblocks, grief, or tough times to share in how their experiences went on to feed their souls. Today, I'm sitting down with Nora McInerney. Nora is the creator of the podcast, Terrible, Thanks for Asking, and the author of several very funny books about sad things, including Bad Vibes Only, which is available everywhere now. Nora McInerney is also very, very tall and a pure delight. I was an early listener of Nora McInerney's. I say that as if like I have any... (laughs) skin in the game as to why she's wildly successful in the podcasting sphere. I just had started listening to podcasts and hadn't listened to very many of them. And I came across a title called Terrible Thanks for Asking. And I said, that's my kind of podcast title right there. I got to click on this and see what it's all about. And if you listen to the first episode of Nora's podcast, you hear about her story She found herself at a place in life in deep grief due to the fact that her husband died of glioblastoma, brain cancer. Her father died and she lost a pregnancy all within a very short period of time back in 2014. The way in which she shared her story really stuck with me because anyone who has the ability to make the space safe enough for you to just open, you know, the floodgates and weep heavily. But then also within a few minutes, have you laughing and giggling and uh, and kind of trying to catch your breath from both. Nora McInerney is just a spectacular storyteller. And as she continued to not only write books and continue to tell her own story, She made an incredible space for others to share their stories on grief and those moments in life where you're just really experiencing the full spectrum of feelings and experiences of what we on this planet uh, have the ability to experience. I highly recommend her podcast. It has kept me comfort on many road trips, many bubble baths, and has also just held me when I needed to feel less alone in my own grief and sad times. And when I felt strong enough and happy enough, it also gave a safe place for me to kind of pop in and and listen to other people and just know that there is light on the other side of the dark tunnels that they are in. Nora has a new book out right now called Bad Vibes Only. It is a collection of essays. I highly recommend it. It is fantastic. I read it so quickly in 24 hours. I love a book that I just cannot put down. And I love sitting down with a guest that I just get to speak with and hopelessly fangirl over for a good hour and change. I just could have kept her on the mic all day. So please enjoy my interview with the fantastic Nora McInerney we think that we can have like 10 applications going at once in our brain and we just can't. And it is very difficult to just quiet all the noise. I'm like, how am I supposed to watch TV without a computer and a phone in front of me and like three different drinks to focus on? How am I going to focus on this show? It can't be done. It can't be done. I think all the time about how my grandma was like raising five children during the depression. And when my (laughs) AirPods don't connect, I'm like, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Like just 
okay. distress <laughs> yeah. and the frustration like, at the world. For yeah, she did not know that level of stress. Okay. Uh-huh. She did not. She uh-huh. could not hack it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you are the perfect person to ask this question to, because I've actually found myself saying this out loud um, a few times, embarrassingly enough. But do you think... And I and I know that this is now a funny question after I've said it out loud. But do you think we've been bamboozled by the older generations as to how hard this chapter of life would actually be? Speaking of your grandmother who raised five children during the Great Depression. Oh, I think everybody has a certain amount of just amnesia, right? After you have a baby, I, two minutes after I had both of the babies that I gave birth to, I was like, let's do that again. Like, what? Like, in the moment, my husband grazed my shoulder and I was like, touch me again and I'll murder you. He said, you're doing a good job. I was like, no shit, you idiot. Like, just horrible, mean, foul person. Like, one, my body was ripping open. And, and then I'm like, should we do that again? I think anytime you're out of a phase in life, it's very easy to look back at it and be like, that wasn't so bad, right? Yeah. Like that wasn't so bad. No, those were the magical years. And I was sitting out front with a neighborhood friend and we were, you know, lightly complaining about the fact that every bedtime in both of our households lasts two to three hours of like rubbing backs and laying there. And then if you move or you cough, like the kids like, are you leaving? And you're like, no, 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 I'm going to lay here. I live here now. I live here. This is obviously I want to be in this twin bed. Yeah. you know, with you <laughs> sweating right now. And like, we both had that same inclination to say like, I mean, you know, I know someday I'll miss it, right? Like I know someday, like I know someday I'll miss it, but it's also okay, I think, to acknowledge that some, like every phase of life has these incredibly beautiful moments that will just stun you if you are present for them. And it also has, I would say the majority of it is so tedious and boring <laughs> that that you could just you could die of the of the of the tedium of it all. So I don't think our grandparents were trying to bamboozle us and say it was all perfect. I literally think they forgot. And in the case of my grandparents, they were extremely drunk. So <laughs> you know, my grandma was like, "Oh, if your baby's crying, you rub a little whiskey on his gums. Like that's oh, yeah. you're you're making your baby drunk." <laughs> Just give him a cigar and a little yeah. whiskey and put on Frankie blue eyes and, and then right baby back will to be sleep. very fine. Okay. And mm-hmm. if you if you're afraid of giving birth, smoke, they'll you'll have a small baby, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is wild, the coping mechanisms uh then and now. And now it's like the calm app, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. like Yeah. Have you thought have you thought of it? Yeah. Have you thought exactly. of just calming down? <laughs> Just calming down. I just, you know, first of all, congratulations on this. Uh, Really, even though it's it's new and old at the same time, you own your podcast. I do. uh, Yeah, and uh, which I think is a for anyone that hasn't listened to terrible. Thanks for asking. I've been listening since season one. It is one of my favorite podcasts. I am such a fangirl of yours and the community that you've built. Um, But I really think your episode recently, anything can happen, Mm -hmm. uh, really encapsulates not only you, what you've experienced, but also the tone of the podcast and the community that it has created. When you tell your story to someone who doesn't know your story, you know, this has now been 
over a decade. Yeah, all told, yeah. Now do you see kind of the beautiful magic moments? Like, are you able to look back at that time now with kind of the way that you described how we can kind of look back and think like, oh, if you pay attention and are present enough. Candice, this is why when I saw the pitch for your podcast, I was so excited about it because yes, and I actually think well, one, to take a step back, terrible things for asking is what I should have said to people, right? I should have said that after my husband died. I should have said that, you know, even when Aaron was sick with cancer, I was struggling. I really, really was. And those years when he was sick, which he he got sick in 2011, which is over a decade ago, which is so weird because I'm not 39. I'm like 26, or 17 mentally. (laughs) Like I'm just absolutely not like edging towards 40. But the time in my marriage, in my relationship with Aaron, when he was sick, I was so aware of how big and scary things were. He had stage four brain cancer. It's incurable. Glioblastoma is. Uh, We knew that his life would be abbreviated and therefore so would our marriage. We chose to have a baby. He made that choice, which is so, so brave of him and such a generous gift that he gave me to have this physical piece of him alongside me for, you know, let's let's not jinx it. <laughs> I'm still like a little bit, you know, off, off, off about stuff like that. But the, that time in my life, Candice, was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And you mentioned like when I tell my story for a long time, it was very difficult for me to do person to person, right? I would meet a person and I would just be like, you know, I'm just not going to say it. I'm just not going to say it because what I didn't want was someone's pity. I didn't want someone to look at me and decide that my life was really sad, right? Like, oh no, she's a widow and she's got like a two-year-old. Oh God. Or, oh, her husband has brain cancer. Oh, and I Googled it. He's not going to live. I didn't want that. It's so dehumanizing to be pitied. And when we were together, me and Aaron and our son, Ralph, when we were in the moment with each other and Aaron was so present, our life was so good. Our life was so good. It was so beautiful. He made everything fun. Even when we were at the hospital waiting to find out if his brain tumor had grown. The, the magic isn't in how good things are. It's how present and aware you can be in them. And I say that knowing that sometimes the present moment fucking sucks. Sometimes the present moment is so bad. And in my experience, even in those times where everything was falling apart, I still had these moments of intense beauty. I will always, always in my mind be able to see with perfect clarity my son who was 22 months old in his little overalls, like walking up to his father's bedside on the day that he died, as if he already knew that it was going to happen and saying like, oh, bye-bye, all done and kissing him and crawling into bed with him and holding his face. Like that's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario did happen. Aaron died. And I still have these moments of of light and joy from that time that we had together, even when it was awful. The time after, the months after, without him there, it was absolutely harder to see anything good. 
it was almost impossible. Do you feel like he was looking to you and you felt the need to be strong for him? And then once he was gone, was it just picking up the pieces? I think actually I needed him. He had this natural buoyancy that I do not have. I'm like a lead balloon most of the time, you know, like I just like if I got di- if I had been diagnosed, I would have been like, oof, well, see ya. Like, just <laughs> OK. He had such a natural joy to him. The day that he entered hospice, like he told the doctor, like, well, you know, I don't want to die. But if you're telling me that's what's happening. OK, I, I just he he had this ability not to deny what was happening. He never denied it. He never, you know, tried to like gloss it over, but he had this natural peace to him, this natural happiness to him. And that kept me tethered. He would tell me all the time, like, it's going to be okay. And I would think you are the dumbest man alive. Like, I mean, you have a brain tumor. What are you talking? You're on, you're on like morphine. Like, what are you talking about? And I do think he meant it to the core of his being. And he didn't mean like, I'm going to live. And he didn't mean I'm going to die and you won't care at all. He just meant like, look, like it's, this is life. This is all a part of life. But without him, I did not have that ray of sunshine. I know this is a crappy thing to say when you like have a child, but I looked at my child and thought like, I can't believe your best parent died. And this is the one you get stuck with. You know, I just he was strong for me, if anything. And without him, I felt completely lost. And now when I look back at that time, and it took time, by the way, it took time. So whenever people are in the thick of it, and I was in the thick of it, I lost a pregnancy, my dad died, then Aaron died, this like a six week period in 2014. Whenever people are like, yeah, but like, mm, you know, at least you have Ralph, you know, mm, at least your mom's alive. Mm. Whenever people try to sort of bright side you, force you to see the silver lining, the silver lining looks like lead. It just, it's it's something that you have to find for yourself. And now, eight years later, I think I can't do that math literally at all, even in my head, can't do it. Now I can look back and see, oh, look at all the people who showed up for me. Like, I wasn't really alone. Like, I wasn't alone as alone as I thought I was. Like, I had I had people who did their best. I had people who cared. I had a lot of ways to be held by my family and by a bigger community. And uh, that's the only way we survive. It's not just, it can't just be you. It can't just be you. I think what's interesting about people who show up for you and then even people who you find yourself in a position to show up for is it's not always the people who you think they will be. And also giving grace to people who don't know how to show up for you, because when you're in grief, when you are in the thick of trauma, you also don't know how you need people to show up for you sometimes. And so it is this Ever. really bizarre, you know, yeah. it's, I feel like you don't see it until you reflect back on it and you go like, wow, I had no idea what I needed. But the fact that this person that I barely know knew how to like send that text and or show up and drop something off at my house or my door is just such a beautiful part of humanity or a friend that, you know, you hadn't spoken to in a long time. is just like, what do you need? I got you. I'm here. 
here. Like those, I think, are the really powerful moments when you kind of do start edging towards the light, you know, of the I, I, I feel like the way I've been able to really understand grief for me at least, is is just applying it to this dark tunnel. And mm-hmm. there is a light at the end, but the dark tunnel is scary and it's gross. And it's <laughs> and you don't know when the light is going to come and you, you don't want to hold your breath. You got to breathe your way through it. And you can make wishes all you want. You really yeah. don't know if they're going to come true. <laughs> but once you start to see that little bit of light creeping in, it is just such a relief, but it takes a long time. And, uh, and in this time of, I think, you know, immediacy, like you can get anything on at the on your fingertips on your phone. You know, I found myself talking to my therapist, like, how do I fast forward these parts? Like, how do I just, is there a button? Is there an app? Like, what can I listen to on my audiobook right now that just like gets me to the other side? Yeah. And he's he's like, that's not how it works. You just got to take it one step at a time. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure I'll be like, I thought that I would be the world's fastest griever, the world's best widow. I would just get through it. I could fake it and then make it. And Uh I did not. I did not at all. I think the only thing that helped to shift my perspective. And I think perspective is an ever changing. It's more of a kaleidoscope than a magnifying glass or, you know, a telescope. It's, it's things change, you change, your circumstance change. All of these things are sort of shifting around you all the time. Also while you're in a dark tunnel, but I knew that where I was, was where I was. I wanted to, and I did for a while, which I think is fair and I think is normal. I held like my pain up as like, this one is mine and it's the heaviest and therefore it's the best and it's the biggest and yours can never touch it. Cause like, look at this one, it weighs more than yours. And it's such a small sort of unkind way of looking at the world. And it's also perfectly normal, right? Like grief is so universal. There are songs, there are books, there are legends written about it. And it is totally and completely personal. No one has been through what you have gone through. Even the people who are going through it with you are having their own experience of it. I had a different experience losing Aaron than his mother did, than his sister did. I was as far as I know, his only wife, that was his mom's only son. That was his sister's only brother. And the more that I thought of things that way, which you can't like force yourself to do, but I kind of saw all of these other people with their own experiences as their own little points in the darkness. Like we're all sort of like trying to find our way through. A flashlight is so, so weak. It gives you like maybe two feet of of visibility in front of you. And every once in a while, like your light will cross with another person's and you'll look up and you'll recognize yourself in another person and be like, oh my God, we're both here. We're both here. And there's that momentary relief of knowing that you really aren't that special, you know? And I think that's a good thing. I really do. I think it's so good to be reminded that the thing that you are going through, whatever it is, yes, it is yours. And there are other people out there carrying something, carrying something so hard and so heavy, and they think they're the only ones too. And we think that in part because we are an aggressively optimistic culture, especially in the US. Candace, of course, you want to you want to be the fastest at 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 
anything, right? Like you want to be the best at something. And that's American culture. Like we love like an underdog, but an underdog who is like really not that far under. And we love when somebody like their setback is just a setup for the comeback or whatever gym teachers have on their wall. And like, we love people who have like, you know, tripped and then like caught themselves immediately. Like we say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's like a physical impossibility, but it is a part of our vernacular that basically implies like, yeah, like anyone can do it, right? Like anyone can do it. And I felt the same way, right? I wanted to get this done. I wanted to be better mostly so that I wouldn't be an inconvenience or a worry for other people. Like I wouldn't be a task for other people. Did you feel like that at the time? I just was afraid to feel like that. I was just afraid to feel like that. I No one made me feel like that. No one. Except for when people, there was this moment where a woman I barely knew, and like this is, I don't want to talk shit about people, but I do. I love talking shit. But you mentioned like, you know, the people who show up are the right people. That's like the people who show up are the right people. We want so badly for our people to be the people who show up. I wanted that, right? I made it impossible for a lot of people to show up because I kept telling everyone I was fine. What do you need? Nothing. I'm good. You know, oh, what can I do? Nothing. And part of that is it's so disorienting. How would you know what you need? Yeah. How would you know what you need? And you've never done that before. Every trauma, every loss, every, you know, every hardship is the first time you've done it. So you are immediately an amateur all over again. Should my mom die, I will not have some sort of, you know, magic recipe for how to get through it just because my dad died before. Like that's my only mom. Never, she's never died before. And you are expected to be, and you are the captain of like the ship, even when the ship is like a sinking canoe and you've got like one paddle, you're like, I don't know, like what would I need? What, what, what can you do? Like, I I guess I'll flip through your LinkedIn and see what you're capable of. And for a long time, I did catalog the people who let me down, uh, the people who I thought didn't care. And it takes time it, t- it took time for me to realize like, oh, maybe not everything's about you. And maybe they were going through their own thing. Maybe they didn't yes. know what to do. And by yeah. the way, that's okay. And the people who showed up, you were not expecting them, but look who they are. Look who they are. What a cool thing. I had this neighbor who, Mark, I love you still. Mark and I never talked about our feelings. Okay. Mark was an engineer. Anytime it snowed, Mark would go on my roof to sweep the snow off so that in the spring I wouldn't have a nice dam. I would never ask for that. <laughs> I, would never ask, yeah. I never asked someone to get on my roof <laughs> in the snow. And Mark never asked me. Mark just did the thing that he could do. It was so unexpected and wonderful. And I think about that all the time. It's, it's hard sometimes, I think, to talk about very vulnerable things when you're still in it. Yeah. And so it's really beautiful to hear that after all these years, you can look back and still feel the warmth from those, you know, small actions that at the time, like, I'm sure it's like you noticed it, but you're like, huh, wow, that's really cool. But now looking back, you really just see how beautiful and monumental that was and how uh, caring and grounding that was to be like, oh, someone sees me. Yes. Or I was worried about like not being grateful enough, you know, or like not having written a card. My mom was obsessed after my dad died that we all write cards for the people who showed up. And I just remember sitting at this table being like, 
here's another car. And I'm like, oh my yeah. God, like are people going to think I don't care? All this stuff. And it's like, Mark did not need a thank you. Mark didn't, yeah. you know, I, he did it in, in not the middle of the night. I was just a snoozer. Like he did it in the early morning when I was asleep. You know, he never, it, 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 for all I know, he doesn't even know that I know it was him, but literally who else would get on my roof? Well, the time has come. It's time for me to start paying attention to what I'm putting into my body. I need fuel. I need energy. I need plant-based proteins and superfoods. Well, thank goodness 310 Nutrition is helping me and you, my listeners, in this new year with protein and superfood-rich products with so many options of delicious flavors and preferences. I can't just drink water. I like water with flavor. I like protein with flavor. And thank goodness, 310 Nutrition offers so many different options. They have six flavors like lemon lime, strawberry, peach mango, wild berry, watermelon, and cucumber, which is exactly what I need when I'm trying to hydrate throughout the day because you know I love my cold brew coffees, but those are dehydrating and I need to rehydrate. So thank goodness their Hydrate Point supercharges water with key vitamins, electrolytes, and minerals. You just add one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, which can provide the same amount of hydration that is equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. And I need it. Not only am I getting rehydrated, but it helps to start my day with more energy, greater focus. I'm feeling refreshed while maintaining my hydration without having to drink as much H2O on its own. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with Superbloom and giving my listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it is really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you're going to use. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code SUPERBLOOM right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code SUPERBLOOM. What, when you look back, is a moment that was pivotal to you recognizing the grief that you were in, but also your ability to walk through it at the same time? So I met my friend Mo 
a month after Aaron died and her husband had died in September. My husband had died in November. And I didn't want any widow friends, by the way. I didn't want to, I never made any cancer friends. I didn't want any widow friends. I just wanted to be a person. And I met Mo because the ladies who ran our coffee shop kept insisting that we had so much in common. What we had in common was our husbands were dead. That was literally the thing that we had in common was dead husbands. And so just to get them to stop talking to me about it, I decided to meet Mo and like we met on a sidewalk and we like looked at each other and like hugged and held each other and then spent the whole day together and then the whole weekend together. And I could call her and I did in the middle of the night and she would answer and she would call me in the middle of the night and I would answer and we became each other's person and witness. She had a son, I had a son to all of these things. And we would go out to dinner like with our boys and I would be so impressed with her and her ability to be present with her son and, you know, present with her friends and to grieve her husband and also just like live the life that she had. And that gave me compassion for myself and also helped me to recognize the thing that I was going through because I would minimize it all the time too, you know, like I just would. And seeing someone else going through the same thing helped me kind of see like the depth of what I was going through too. And like the depth of what I was carrying, like it's not a, it's not a small thing, but I did tend to minimize it. And I think again, for the comfort of other people, because I didn't want other people to feel uncomfortable being around me, or I didn't want them to think that, you know, I was just all sad all the time or that they weren't allowed to be happy around me, but Mo got it. And being around a person who gets it, even, and this is like the same thing, right? That's not who you expect. It's not who you expect. I would expect to have those moments with someone I'd known for 20 years or 15 years or, you know, my, my very best friend. It was, I was having these moments with a person who a year before had been a complete stranger. Well, and you would soon go on to also have a new partner and have this kind of new idea that would blossom into a beautiful career. And I can't imagine that all just happened at once one day. It happened so clumsily. And it also happened. One thing that I do think losing Aaron gave me was his buoyancy like his ability to, he was a creative, he was a designer, a graphic designer. And sometimes I would say something funny and then he would like design a t-shirt. And this is before it was like easy to like print shirts, you know, like you had to go to some like dirty old like print shop in like Minneapolis where they make like, you know, hockey jerseys. And he, he just, he loved making things and exploring ideas just for fun. I had never had fun in recent memory before meeting Aaron. I was like, I work and I party and like, but I don't like make things, you know, I'm not like a creative person. I mean, I would love to be, but like I worked in advertising and either you were a creative, a man, or you were an account person, a woman. (laughs) Like there were like three female creatives and like, yeah, 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 yeah. Got so much to say about that. But Aaron died. And I think a lot of my worries did in a lot of ways. Like I had lost so much. I was unemployed after he died. 
I was like, okay, well, what can I do? I know I'm a good writer. I'm going to send an email to five people who I know work in marketing and maybe have a small business and say, can I write your emails and Facebook posts for you? And they were like, yeah, great. You can do that. And I would do it in the middle of the night, which is when I was awake. (laughs) And I like built this little business. I turned my, you know, the blog that I had written, somebody read, and I wrote a book proposal and I wrote a book and the title of the book, I thought should be terrible. Thanks for asking. But the publisher thought that was too negative for a book where my husband dies. So I just had to keep that title. Or something else. Can you make like, cancer and death just a little bit more yeah. positive? Because there's something a like a little twist. punchier. Is there like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It just sounds like a little down. Like, you know, uh-huh. I don't know if we want people uh-huh. to feel bad about that. So all of these things, like all the things that I created or started or just the idea that I would do anything but go back to a cubicle is so strange to me. It is so different than my life had been before. And a part of me knew that I needed a life that was really, really different, that I needed to like build something that was completely new, even if I didn't really know how. And, you know, the podcast was an idea that I had that I, you know, pitched to someone on Twitter, very professional. And I met Matthew through Mo. I met him a year after Aaron died. And uh, I really did not want to fall in love. I'm not just saying that, like, I really was so grossed out by the idea. I thought like, I will, someone can love me, obviously. Um, Like they're welcome to do that. (laughs) And they can live in their house and love me and come over and like, we can maybe like, you know, have sex and they, they can like kill spiders. Mow yes. my lawn. Change a light bulb. Change a light Love bulb. Okay, like a light bulb change. Honestly, not even light bulbs. The freaking carbon monoxide detector. Okay. Oh yeah. Batteries of any kind. They can be in charge of batteries. They can be mm-hmm. in charge of you know. But like, I, will I love them? Absolutely not. No. No interest. I really had it. Like I had it the first time. That was good enough. That was enough. It really was. And I met Matthew, and it was so easy. He's so different from Aaron. Aaron is so outgoing and like would make you feel like the party started because you were there. You're a stranger, but oh my God, thank God you're here. Matthew is like, do I have to go to the party? <laughs> like, do I, like, could I just drop you off and pick you up afterwards? Or is there like a book I could read at the party? <laughs> and, and I love that. I really do. I love that about him. And we went on one date. And then our second date, like he came over and I was just like crying and reading Mary Oliver poetry. And there was just something so safe and warm about him. And he had survived his own hard things. And he didn't know that version of me before. You know what I mean? He didn't. So he had no expectation of who I should be or how I should be. He doesn't use the internet except as a tool. He didn't Google me. He didn't know anything about me. And he could just be there. And I do think besides having this friendship with Mo, the thing that helped me truly heal was having Matthew. Because it is hard to comprehend the depth of losing your partner when you don't have anywhere like safe to be, you know, like I didn't have like, I mean, I guess I could cry alone. Took me a long time to go to therapy, long time. I literally like if I I believe in like sort of leaving your old work up as a way to be like, 
Well, we all learn. There's a chapter in my first book about how I don't need to go to therapy. (laughs) That is hilarious to me, especially because, I mean, I imagine now... There, like, I'm also very into therapy. Like, I love therapy. Yes. I once had to, like, call a therapist, like, a phone a friend situation. And yeah. I had, like, four on speed dial, yeah. like, ready to go. I love that. My parents are very, they're not anti-therapy. They're just not therapy people is yes. what we've yeah. kind of gotten to. Yeah. And so, for me, I've, like, overcompensated by just, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I remember being 18 in L.A. and you know, went home for Christmas and finally came clean to my parents and was like, I wasn't using that money for rent. I was using it for therapy. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I love therapy. So I love that uh, it took you that long to get there. Insane. It's so unhinged. I literally wrote a whole chapter like, maybe it's helpful for some people, but what are they going to tell me that I'm sad? Like, what? the fuck is wrong with you? And also like not one person, I can't prove this. Probably some people did say it to me, but like Aaron was sick for three years. And I look back at that time and I'm like, how did I survive with no therapy and no medication? Not a single, like maybe a Tylenol PM on some nights. Like that was, that was it. Like I had no like spiritual outlet or like mental health outlet. And I find that absolutely unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me. Well, actually, I can also think that you were in survival mode to a certain extent. Like at that point, you're just holding it. It's like those little, um, you know, those little weird wooden dolls where they have like a push button in the bottom. That's me. You know what I mean? Where they're just like, yes. And then you have to like push the button for them to finally just release and relax. (laughs) That is what I feel like we can do as humans. Um, And even not to, not to gender it, but Mm -hmm. I think a lot of women, you know, who are in the mode of taking care of others, you know, will be like, no, 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 I can, I can keep it together. I can keep it together. I can keep it together. And until you get to someone just like pushing that button to be like, no, 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 you have to relax now. Yeah. You have to feel your feelings. Yeah. And, and you have to breathe now. Yeah. Um, it's really scary to get to that point. You know, people would say like, oh, it's so great. You stayed with Aaron. Men leave statistically when a woman gets cancer. Like men do. They leave. Women don't. I never would have. Like, I just remember the minute I found out, I was like, okay, well, like, we're getting married. And he was like, you can't get married. I was like, we're getting married. Like, like, <laughs> don't be a loser. We're getting married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, And yeah, it's also like, yes, we are programmed to like take care of other people. We are also like, it's the curse of the competent woman, right? Like if I can, if I do a good job at one thing, like you can give me another and give me another and give me another. And also like, you know, it wasn't stigma. And I do think stigma is real. It was accessibility. And we had whatever insurance we had. And when would I go see a therapist? When I was working a full-time job and then I had a baby and like I was taking Aaron to like, you know, all of his medical appointments and things. It's like, they're just, teletherapy was not a thing. There was, yeah. there were no apps. There was no, like, and that's, that's very recent. That's, you know, 2011 to 2015, like those years, like that's how long it took me to go see somebody. And the only reason I went is because I went to a regular doctor, which I already, I had not been to since Aaron got sick. And she recognized me because Minneapolis is, you know, smallish town. And that's where I lived at the time. And she was like, oh my God, how are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm good. And she was like, oh, really? 
okay, then I guess you won't mind taking this questionnaire. And I was like, I love a questionnaire. I love a quiz about myself. Tell me more. And it was literally like always, always, every day, every day, constantly, 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 constantly. Do you want to die? Ah! I mean, I don't want to live. Like today? You know? and, like right yeah, now? Today? Or yeah. like later? Yesterday? Like, Could you... Yeah. <laughs> I already lied about how many drinks I had earlier on the first one. So we can do this all day long. Let's like, go. <laughs> how many like, cigarettes okay. have I smoked like, ever? Like, ever? what? Ever, yeah, ever? Depends on what you have photos of. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are I you don't on remember Facebook? Yeah. smoking them because I was blackout drunk. No, I wasn't because yes. I don't drink except for yes. very occasionally. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. so occasionally. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even yeah. remember when. Um, <laughs> but today yeah. I'm happy. But today I'm doing okay. Just mildly yeah. like sad and, you know, crying in my car alone. But that's normal. That's I normal. I would say who's not. Okay. Yes. <laughs> like, who in this Target parking lot <laughs> isn't having a full-on mental breakdown, ma'am? So, I mean, it took a regular doctor to be like, okay, so for my evaluation, you need a... <laughs> You need a mental health professional who, when I went to go see, she was like, okay, so you're fine. I was like, literally, like I said, I'm fine. (laughs) And the only reason, by the way, I went is because I have this friend. His name is Tyler. We have been friends for since, I don't know, 2009. And he is so mean to me and I love him, but he's also just like, the, he's never once just been nice to me for the sake of being nice. Like he is my tough love friend. And he was like, Mm -hmm. we will not be friends. We will not be friends anymore like you went through something huge you need to go take care of your mental health and I was like what about it like what like it was like if you don't go to therapy we won't be friends and then I won't know your son and that will make me really sad and Ralph really loves Tyler and I was like okay I'll go like I'll go and I like you know went to a little therapist's office and she was like huh you have PTSD and I was like no my dad went to Vietnam, not me. So I think you're confused. <laughs> and she was like, okay, but you have like flashbacks. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'll just be looking at a man and then he'll die in front of me. Is that weird? And she's like, it's not the best. Um, so it was, you know, all that stuff. And again, it's like, I did not even consider that I would need help or support, which is so absolutely bananas to me. So nuts. So nuts. Like, when did you look at first your son mm-hmm. and then yourself and and not collapse like the draft, but be able yeah. to be in the middle place where you're not yeah. like stuck, just standing tall and you're not collapsed on the floor, but where you're like, OK, I'm moving, I'm grooving and I'm going to be OK. Like th- yeah. there, there's a breeze. The sun is out and we are in the future time now. And I knew yeah. I would get to this place eventually. And oh my, my feet God, are on the ground and I'm here. Oh, my God. OK, so. I couldn't live in the house where Aaron died. Some people do. They do forever. And uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be there. I moved in with my mom. And that was an adventure. (laughs) I would say neither of us were great roommates, but she knows what she did. And... And I know what I did, okay? Like, literally every day I was like, feed me, I'm a baby. Like... We could have a whole other episode about like your relationship with your mom in your 30s when you become a parent yourself. That's definitely a whole other episode. It really is. It's so weird. Also, like I still like 
when I, if I go to into anyone else's mom's house, I immediately am a child. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so glad I'm with a real mom. Yeah. I'm so relieved. <laughs> I'm so relieved. Oh, thank God. Thank God. You know, my mother-in-law, I love going to her house. I'm like, oh, thank God Sherry's here. I will, I will take a glass of water. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will sit on this. Oh, you brought me a snack. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, that moment, there's like a series of moments. The one that came to mind when you mentioned that, um, Ralph and I had been living with my mom. We didn't have the house where Aaron had died anymore. And I was driving to my little brother's house and I passed this. It looks like a dollhouse. It looks like when you were six years old and someone asked you to draw a house. It's like white, you know, house shaped, <laughs> black <laughs> shutters, like the little... a house, yep. just a house shape. Just a... Black shutters, like a two-story, um, a little apple tree in the front yard, window boxes, and there was a fresh for sale sign. I was seeing my brother all the time. I was like, pulled over and like immediately look up the house and it's so cute on the inside and it's like the exact price range that I could afford. And I did not have a job, which was a problem, but I called like... I, I finagled, I literally finagled this thing through a credit union. <laughs> like They were like, we can get this done. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird, but we can get this done. And I got it done. I bought this little house. We called it the doll house. And I took like our time moving in, like we painted it. And a friend of mine painted these cute little like pine trees, like pine tree silhouettes all over Ralph's room. And I got all my furniture, like the the stuff that was still usable and that we still wanted, like out of the house and moved it in into this house. And it was so chaotic. I rented a moving van for the wrong day, like the wrong year. I like got there and was like, I like my moving van there. Oh, we don't have you down. I was like, um, here's a receipt. And they're like, that's for literally not today. That's for, I was like, oh, I had to drive like a semi truck, like whatever you don't need a specific license for, but you should have one. That's what I had to drive. I was like, oh God, like going 20 down the freeway. Like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Like we moved in and it was wonderful and like disastrous and everything went wrong. And that whole day there were people from like Twitter, which I was on at the time. And now I'm too like mentally fragile for like random people showing up to like help me move into this house and the next day I woke up and Ralph and I went out into the little backyard where there was a no joke, a picket fence. And he was picking these little sour grapes off the vine, and eating them. And I just thought, oh my God, we're here. Like we're here. Like we made it. We made it. And that same backyard, Ralph was standing on this tiny little picnic table, a wooden homemade picnic table from the 1960s, absolutely not safe. And he was waving at the sky. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just saying hi to Papa. I'm saying hi to my Papa. And I was like, oh. Like, Aaron is here, but he was never sick here. And Ralph and I can grow here. And that house, I did not have it for long. My greatest regret is selling it. That house was like the place where we grew as like a, as a pair like where we started our life as like me and you, buddy, like me and you. And it's also where like I was when Matthew showed up 
and brought his kids. I had uh, set up, there were four bedrooms upstairs, two and two, and I'd set up the like empty bedrooms, not as like offices or workspaces or playrooms. Like I'd set them up as extra bedrooms, like one for a boy, like gendered, whatever, like, you know, one, like one, just like plain, honestly, ever been in a boy's room? They're fucking gross. (laughs) (laughs) And then like one that was like, you know, uh, pinks and corals and like all the stuff that I like. And uh, when I met Matthew and we got together, I remember like the first time that his kids came over, the older kids came over, like they went upstairs and they were like, there's a room for each of us. And like, they just felt that right away. And they loved the dollhouse. And like the dollhouse is like where we all like became a family too. Yeah. And there was no way I could have anticipated that or planned for it or even like hoped for it. But it all happened there. And I don't know. I just think that house has magic powers too. You know what I mean? I think it's time, it's therapy, and it's a magic location. It's funny how magic houses work like that and how I think from a young age, I just had this, I moved around a lot when I was a little kid and it throughout adulthood. And, you know, I also found myself at the age of 22 getting this job that provided me financial stability for a long time. And so I always had this, you know, idea that I was going to move into a house and that was the house that I would have the house and you stay there and your decorations are the same for every holiday and everyone shows up at that house and that's where you do all the things and you mark all the little lines on the wall as your children grow taller and taller and the wood gets creakier and creakier and until I have that I will just always feel you know like something is missing. And at the age of 35, having now moved a lot in my life, even more recently, more times in the last year than I really anticipated to, I think the that the most we can really, really hope for in our lives is that when we need it the most, a magical house shows up mm-hmm. and just holds you for a while and holds yeah. your family for a while. And it's just like this beautiful little stepping stone to then the other houses you will, you know, find yourselves in or the apartments or the condos or living circumstances. But if you're lucky enough just to have a magical house for a short period of time, like that's the white picket fence goal in life, I think sometimes. Yeah. And it's like this house was not, uh, it was not like, you know, perfect in Mm -hmm. any way. And it was so perfect. Like the the top, like the linoleum in the kitchen was so disgusting. <laughs> like the cabinets were so bad and I painted them myself. Like I did not do a good job. I'm not a patient person. Okay. I didn't prime. I didn't sand. I was like, how hard going to be? Like hard, hard, it, <laughs> you know, like it just, there were all these like things about it that were, you know, that, that some people would definitely not like at all. And it was just energetically and location, which is everything about it. I was two blocks away from my little brother. I was like a mile from my mom. I was like in this part of the city that I'd never lived in with Aaron or like really had any like memories in, which was nice. And yeah, I don't know. I just, 
I love that place. And I sold it to the cutest couple and I hope they live there forever. And it's okay if they don't, but I hope it gives them the same thing. Like, I hope it's like a special place for them too. Well, I also want to acknowledge the special place that the podcast you would go on to create um, would become. You, I think you have built that within this community of terrible things for asking. I mean, so much so, just so I can fangirl for a minute. There are also, like, I still think about the immigrant's daughter who opened a Bonni shop just at the wrong time in the wrong town, and but also like stayed committed to it. You had a whole episode about this Bonni shop that just sticks in my brain. I still think every time at Trader Joe's about the therapist that shared with her, you know, the story about her patient that had terminal cancer and just quit everything and was like, you know what? I actually just want to work at Trader Joe's because everyone that works there just looks so fucking happy all the time. And that's where I want to be. And every time I'm in Trader Joe's, I think about that moment. And I still think about the woman who was driving early in the hours of the morning and who hit someone. And 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 it was someone who was crossing the road very erratically and it was nobody's fault. But she still lives with that every single day and just and walks through her life just thinking, gosh, how did I end up at that place at that time and constantly recounting her steps? And but it gives, you know, it's not a podcast, I think, about just being sad. It's really just about humanity and the humility of humanity and how if we are able and willing to share our stories with other people, you know, especially in, you know, in this kind of realm on a, on a microphone where a lot of people can hear them, you know, it does allow others in the world to feel less alone. And I think that's what, you know, you've been able to take a very difficult period of time in your life and your willingness to share that with others um, has, I think, had others feel so less alone when they've walked through difficult times in their life. I mean, the stories that I've heard on your podcast have stuck with me in 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 the dirt period of my time, which is what I'm kind of calling it. Yeah, the <laughs> you're dirt just like period. the dirt period where you're like, okay, I'm just hanging out in the soil and yeah. in, in the soil matrix, as it's called. Um, and just, you know, just waiting for some roots to grow because yeah. once they sprout, then I can start the ascent. <laughs> I'm not Anytime there yet. you want to show up. Yeah. Uh-huh. That'd be great. That'd be great. And yeah, the, the show is, you know, it's not meant to be a bummer. It's not, and it's not right. And it goes back to that same feeling I had when Aaron was sick and I could sort of feel people's pity, uh, or, and, and it's not always pity by the way, it's judgment or it's, you know, uh, it's, it's impatience with your suffering, whatever it is turning you from like a person who is experienced the experiencing the fullness of what it means to be a person which is and does include suffering into like a sad story into just just the minimization that the only thing that matters about you is that oh god oh did you hear about Candace yeah no mhm mhm it's just it's so dehumanizing and mm-hmm. I think that's part of the loneliness of these experiences, right? And I think that's why we need each other's truth and we need each other's stories too. I do not know what it is like to be driving to work, um, a commute that, you know, you do every single day so often that you could do it on autopilot. And 
and what it's like to do that and kill another person. I do not know what it is like to have an undocumented parent need a life-saving transplant that they are unable to get because of their immigration status. I do know what it is like to feel as though the bottom has fallen out from your world. Your world has crashed to a stop while everyone else's is just spinning. And that is what connects us is, is that, that shared humanity, as you said, is like everybody, 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 even the most annoying person in your life is going to go through it. Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's funny how I feel like, you know, earlier I mentioned, you know, do we feel like the, this older generation and our grandparents all just bamboozled us into thinking that it actually wasn't going to be that hard. And in more conversations I've had lately, I've realized that, oh, no, they actually, it was pretty clear, you know, that life is not easy. It's hard. I just realize now in adulthood that when you hear about the hard things, you just never think that they're going to happen to you. And that's the kind of the crash landing is when you realize that um, you are just as susceptible as everybody else. Yeah. It's always other people till you're other people. Yep. Um, Well, I don't want to end this podcast without talking about your new book, Bad Vibes Only, which is a collection of personal essays that are so fantastic. And I could just spend a whole another hour breaking down every single one. Um, But instead of doing that, I do want to just have a moment to acknowledge just the how amazing it was. Um, One that you ran into a friend of your past, well, her aunt here in Nashville at a fantastic bookstore that I'm going to butcher the name of because I keep just like making up how you pronounce it. Parnassus? (laughs) Parnassus? I think it's Parnassus, but it's also one of those words I've never heard spoken aloud. Thank God. Okay. There's nothing worse than saying a word out loud for the first time. There really isn't. I'm like, we're going to swing and miss. I'm 90% sure it's Parnassus, but Parnassus sounds better. So I don't know. Perfect. That's how it, that's yeah. how I describe it to my six-year-old. We're just yeah. going to go to Yeah, That's where we're going to go. Um, but you were having a book signing there, your first book, yeah. what, an early book signing. And yeah, my first into- book. It was my first book. I was like, oh my God, will anyone show up? Which is how I feel anytime I do any event. I'm just like, oh boy. Okay. Same. Here yeah, we go. No, I'm a hoot when I throw a party. I just stress yeah. and sweat the whole time. And then I just want to hide and watch people. Like that's my ideal party is just to set everything up and then just watch to see who comes and then sigh in relief that anyone has showed up. Um, but yeah. someone did show up and it was an old friend of yours, aunt. And uh, yes. you were so excited to hear how your friend was from your college years. And they had turned out to be a nun. They would go on to be a nun. And Not just a nun, a cloistered <laughs> nun. Locked away from the world. In a life of silent prayer, uh-huh. Candace, the most extreme <laughs> version of being a Catholic nun that I think exists. The way my jaw hit the floor, because the last time I saw this girl, I was literally like looking up her skirt because she was dancing on a bar and she pulled me up on the bar. Like, that's my last memory of her <laughs> is that is like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, are we talking about the same woman? And she's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It, it made me laugh so loud because I too was just like, oh gosh, she died. Like this, I, yeah. I, that's immediately where my brain went. Yeah. Um, but no. And, and then, and I went through the same kind of emotions as you did, which was like, oh gosh, like that must, what a life to be like, like just up in a castle and just away from the world. And what are you even experiencing? And then yeah. the realization that, you know, our day-to-day lives now, especially in this like 
post-2020 period of like everything that we've experienced as a society. But then also, you know, when you have kids and you're just like, you know, you're kind of you're comparing basically that, you know, a servant to God. And then you're just there being like, what snacks can I bring you? Now I need to answer these emails. Yeah. Now I need to like, you know, take my melatonin. And now I need to do this. And now I need to like, take 10 minutes to feel really, really calm. So then I can, you know, meanwhile, make the sure- dog is peeing on the floor. Yes. Like <laughs> the dog ate a Lego, like, yes. it, like it just everything. Yeah. Her work is like, everything is a prayer. Sweeping the floor is a prayer. Cooking a meal is a prayer. Everything in my life is like, I'm like, is it a prayer or is it a cry for help? You know? <laughs> yep. Yep. But just how beautiful it, when we take a moment to even consider the prayer elements of that yeah. and, and just going back to earlier, you know, how you said, if we can just take a minute to just reckon, like really be present and, you know, just hold on to the yummy stuff and those beautiful little nuggets that just seem monotonous, but really aren't because there is beauty in that simplicity. And yeah. I just, I, it, I just loved that chapter because it made me laugh. It also made me daydream for a minute about being a cloistered nun and what that would feel like for just just a week. Like maybe that's the new retreat. Maybe we don't need to go to Arizona and spend like, you know, 2,800 bucks on like a spa weekend with organic food where we're all just sneaking wine. Maybe we can yeah. all just be cloistered nuns for a weekend. I went on, I think this is my first book. I did go on a silent retreat. Uh, also run by Catholics in a very austere cabin with no frills whatsoever where you couldn't even bring books. And I have to say, uh, nothing makes you realize the prison of your own thoughts and habits and phone addiction, like being without other people and distraction. And that chapter for me was a journey from assuming that my friend had given up on the good things in life when really I think she might be focused on the truly good things in life. She is not trapped by the same things I am, which is, yeah. you know, busyness and accomplishment and my phone and trying to find something worth writing to her to reflect my, you know, it's, it's hard to write. I'm going to say it's hard to write back to someone who says they pray all day and that they have found peace and joy. And I'm like, well, I do pay a stranger to listen to my problems for two hours a week. Um, I'm on, I'll, let's say conservatively two medications. Okay. No, I don't take the third every day, you know, like, <laughs> Like, like, but that's cool. God's joy and peace. How's me. that? Yeah. How is that joy and peace? Yeah. Tell me more. Where'd you get it? Okay. 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 And you wear that outfit every day. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. Okay. Could you don't have it. to stress about shopping or keeping up with the trend. You're not on the Pinterest or like shopping no. on Instagram. Okay. Cool. 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 Oh. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. But she did send you a letter back eventually. Yes. And I love that there was just something written out or, pr- or use a prayer card printed and that you yeah. kept it on your desk. And I, if I can read that real quick, because I yes. think it stuck with me and I think it would stick with the listeners as well. Mm-hmm. The card said, and I saw the river over which every soul must pass to reach the kingdom of heaven. And the name of that river was suffering. And I saw the boat which carries souls across the river. And the name of that boat was love. I fucking love that. I know. Isn't that so beautiful? God, nuns know some stuff. 
they know some stuff. They know some stuff. And like she printed that herself and sent it to me. I was like, oh, like. And and just ties in so beautifully of just when when the bottom does fall out and when you just feel so swept up by the current that the boats are love. And just to, to when you are able to be find yourself in a boat and able to breathe, even if it's someone else's boat, just being like, hey, let me carry you for a little bit. Like that's love. That is a beautiful it is, thing. Yeah, it is. And I think we have that ability to do that for each other. But I am a person who does get overwhelmed at the dread of the world very easily, which I think is normal, right? And I think it is a good reminder too, that when we see someone else, you know, in that river of suffering, like we can, like through love, offer them relief. And there are a lot of ways to do that. And it is hard to, we are not here to fix every single problem in another person's life. It 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 does not have to be that big or that extreme. It can be showing up in whatever way that you can show up. And you mentioned earlier, like a person who you didn't expect, like sending you a text that made you feel seen, that made you feel like, oh, this person acknowledges where I am or what I'm going through. It can be that. It can be something physical. It can be so many different things. But yeah, loves the boat. Loves the boat. Well, thank you so much for for joining me on a Super Bloom podcast. It means the whole world. I've been, before I let you go, I've been doing uh, this thing, which is kind of, I was starting as an icebreaker. It was an icebreaker yeah. of a write, in a writing class that I took once that I loved and we'd start each one, but it's been kind of like a nice little closer as well. It's, it's five things. It's something you like. Right now, I like cold brew. I, I mm. can't get enough of it. Something you know. Uh, something I know is that spiders don't like peppermint oil. They don't. They don't. It's a great spider deterrent. Fun fact. Um, Something I hate. Um, Just really obnoxiously slow driving zones in areas where you know cars should probably be able to drive faster. That's something I experienced this morning. Uh, Something I love in not repeating like I love my kids and I love I love I love homemade whipped cream. Just made that last night. And something that's quirky about myself. I I I got my nails done and they're long and I don't know what to do with them. And I do this every time when I feel socially insecure and then it just makes me more socially insecure. I don't know what to do with my nails. Like, is this like, how is, we do it? This, this, this is what Dolly Parton does, but I don't know if that's what I do. Um, but so it's five things. Okay, I like a McDonald's drive through Coca-Cola Classic Ooh. with a medium fry. Large Coke, medium fry. It's Mm -hmm. my treat. I am a super user of the McDonald's app. McDonald's, please sponsor me. (laughs) The love (laughs) is real. The like is real. Okay. (laughs) That's like, that is my, I'm a a woman of simple tastes. I like that so much. That is such a beautiful, wonderful treat. I don't know a lot of things. Sometimes I'm afraid. I'm like, do I know nothing? And then sometimes I'm like, do I just think I know something? And it's a fact that I heard from like a six-year-old, which mm-hmm. dubious at best. But you mentioned insect and it got me thinking about insects, which we live in Arizona now and you know what we have? Scorpions. You know how you find them? Mm-hmm. Black light. 
You shine mm. a black light and they glow. <laughs> I don't know what is more terrifying. Just like that you need a disco party to like find this, like that there's an actual activity to find the scorpions or that they glow because they don't look like they would glow. They don't, they're brown. They're like almost like translucent brown. And then you go outside. The first time we did it, we we're like, yeah, we haven't seen a scorpion yet. Let's just do it. It'll be fun. And it was like, <gasps> like a whole wall lit up. We we're like, burn it, burn it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Something that uh, you hate doesn't have to be oh. scorpions, but I'm assuming oh. they're on oh, the list. Honestly, okay. I love TikTok. I hate that people film other people without them knowing. I hate it uh, so much. Yeah. I'm sorry to ruin the fun. I know it's like, oh, look, I caught this cute moment. Oh, I saw this funny thing. No, like no one consented to that. No one consented to that. Like we, I feel like are slipping down, you know, this, this, you know, jello mountain of having no privacy whatsoever. And I think you deserve, if you are just a person out in the world, like people are weird. Like I make weird faces in Target. Like I pick my nose in public all the time. Like <laughs> it is a matter of time until there's a TikTok of me trying to take out my Invisalign in public. Okay. I just <laughs> oh, hate those. Mm, I hate those. God, what do I love? 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 Oh my God. I can't be my kids. I know I always say when people are like, you know, like the 73 questions when people are like, what can't you live without? And they're like, my family. No, duh. Okay. I know. No, <laughs> duh. We, like, yeah, we know. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we get it. Okay. We get it. Who? Oh, I love weird miniatures from antique stores. My favorite way Ooh. to spend a Sunday is to go to an antique mall, an, a strip mall antique mm -hmm. store, nothing fancy, something where like they, they wrap your, um, your purchases in old newspaper. Yes. They give you used plastic bags from somewhere else, nothing new, um, where they're kind of mean to you. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't someone want always has a cabinet. bad cough. There's yeah, always someone, someone a with a really bad cough. <laughs> someone, someone has a bad cough or like, you know, they're, they're, they're mad at you for something. Like every time I go, I'm always like, should I be here? Um, I, that's my, that's like my ideal Sunday. And I got, it's unfortunately in the kitchen, this tiny little princess phone like this one, which is a real one. Um, I got an itty bitty one, probably from like a dollhouse in like the fifties. And I love it. I love it so much. And the other thing I love, which is kind of the same because it's it's small things. I love small things. I love a Christmas village from the 90s. Mm. This is my, that's my passion. Okay. I, I, I want the same kind of house you do, right? Where it's like same Christmas decorations every year, but I don't want them to be cool. I don't want them to be themed. I don't want there to be a color scheme. I want it to be chaos Christmas 90s mall. And I am <laughs> getting there. Okay. <laughs> like I am getting there. I inherited some from my mother-in-law. I am on eBay. I'm at these antique malls. Like Christmas magic is coming and it is a small houses that light up from the inside. <laughs> like that's what they are. Now, the quirky thing about me is that I can do, I can do an almost perfect loon call. Okay. The loon is the, the state bird of Minnesota. Okay. I'm going to have to send you a recording so I don't blow out your speakers. I, I have a recording, uh, Melissa, I can send you. Or how are we going to believe it's you, Nora? 
How are we going to believe? Hold on. Hold on. Ready? Okay. How are we going to know it's not a real loon? Whoa. Wow. Do you hunt loons? I should. (laughs) I do think it's illegal to do, but who's going to stop me? (laughs) They're terrifying. Honestly, I would never... I would never get one got close to me up north uh, in Minnesota a couple summers ago when I did that. It got like went under the canoe and came up and I was like, kill me, kill me. It's, it's looking at me. It's looking at me because I, like, I don't know what I'm saying to a loon like oh, with yeah. that sound. I, I That could be aggressive. I have no idea. Um, but it, they will come. They will come. They've got wow. sharp beaks. They've got red eyes. They are unnervingly large. I don't. Yeah. That's that's all I know about loons. There we so. go. <laughs> and you know how to speak to them. And I know how to speak to them. Do I know, you know what how I'm to saying? Speak to them. No. Why no. would that stop me? <laughs> well, you know what to say to people. And it comes from the heart and it means oh. a lot. And Nora, thank you so much for thank joining you, me Candace. today. And congratulations again. Bad vibes only. It's fantastic. Yay. Thank and you. I'm thank you. So it's so fun to write. To continue listening to Terrible Thanks for Asking. And you're just a delight and spectacular. Oh, so same. thank you. Same. Thank, thank you. This has been a Super Boom podcast hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond Imprint Productions. Post production sound by Chris Henry and advertisement partnerships with ACAST.